0: it out and turn with me to our favorite psalm, the 23rd psalm for the next several weeks on Sunday nights. We're going to very slowly make our way through each verse of the 23rd psalm. We'll take our time and take in each word and try to understand what it means, not only to David as he writes it, but what it means to us today and how we can apply it, I would imagine that if I were to ask you just to start quoting a psalm, I'm sure many of you memorize different portions of different psalms, but most of you, if you were pushed to do it, you'd probably go to the 23rd Psalm because it's certainly one of those that we have heard so many times throughout our lives, It's one of those that even if we weren't making an intentional effort to memorize it, we have a lot of it memorized again because in so many different settings, in worship services, in funerals, at gravesides, all over our lives, throughout our lives, we have heard the 23rd Psalm. Well, I hope that Over the next few weeks, if you'll come and hang out with me on Sunday nights when we've reached the end of it, I hope you'll walk away with a reinvigorated appreciation for this psalm. I hope you'll see it in a brand new way for some of you. Remember that David, and I'll say a little more about this in a moment, King David, who wrote this, draws deep from his experience of having been a shepherd in Bethlehem. And so it is a beautiful psalm that, again, is written from the very perspective of a shepherd. So let's read it together, and then we'll ask the Lord to to bless it as we begin to attempt to understand it tonight. It's a psalm of David. Scripture says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Again, it's a blessing to just be here among your people tonight, but Father, it's a particular blessing for us to open your word to any passage. But Lord, you have especially anointed certain passages that have resonated with our experiences of life throughout our journey, and Lord, Psalm 23 is certainly one of those. And I just pray, Father, that beginning tonight and then for the next few weeks on Sunday nights, you would just open up our eyes to see it in a fresh way, to, Father, appreciate it even more than we ever have before. God, lead us, guide us as we approach your word tonight. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. and Amen. As it actually says in the text, this is one of those psalms of David. Let me put it in perspective for you. David is not writing this when he's a young man. He's not writing it after he was anointed to become the next king of Israel. He's not writing it in those early days of his reign. But David is actually later in life when he writes the 23rd Psalm, and obviously he goes back to those moments as a shepherd boy when God had formed him out there in the shepherd's fields around Bethlehem to become the great king of Israel. And so he draws from those experiences, real experiences, as a real shepherd taking care of real sheep, and he brings them over into the spiritual realm. Uh, You'll begin to learn that I'm a big fan of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Many of you have heard the name of Spurgeon. Spurgeon was called the Prince of Baptist Preachers, who preached over in England back many years ago. And Spurgeon wrote a series of books that are entitled The Treasury of David. And what he does in those books is he pulls out all of the Davidic Psalms and he provides a commentary on each of those. And when he introduces the 23rd Psalm, I want you to just listen to the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He wrote, David has left no sweeter psalm than the short 23rd. It is the nightingale of psalms." Blessed be the day on which this psalm was born. Spurgeon went on to write, It has charmed more grief to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. I think that's a pretty good way to introduce the 23rd Psalm. I wish I was a master with the English language the way that Brother Spurgeon was. And what a beautiful introduction that is to the greatest psalm, I believe, in the book of Psalms. Here's something I want to dispel for you from the outset. And that is, many people have referred to the 23rd Psalm as a psalm For the dying. And I think there's a reason for that because if there's a psalm that is most quoted and most read at funerals or at gravesides, it's certainly the 23rd psalm. And I think it's because of that line where David talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, when we get to that verse in a few weeks, I'm going to help you understand exactly what that means, but I want to say this. This really is not a psalm for the dying, but it's a psalm for the living. It's a psalm for those of us who have just started out in life and we're still trying to muddle through school and make big decisions about our future. You will find a lot of direction in the 23rd Psalm. It's a psalm for young couples that are just getting started in their marriage life, and they have a lot of things to figure out. Psalm 23 will give you help for that. Psalm 23 is a psalm of solace for a father who's lost a son. Psalm 23 is a psalm of inspiration for someone who has just started their journey into senior adult life. ARP thinks I've done that. I remember going to the mailbox on September the 21st, the year that I first turned 50. Well, I think I only turned 50 once. But that year when I turned 50, that first day, September 21, went to the mailbox, and just as if it was perfectly timed, I reach in and I pull out an invitation to join the ARP club. Anybody else in the ARP club? Well... I haven't joined you yet. I refuse to do so. I wrote a letter back to them and I said this, it is not my 50th, it's the 25th anniversary of my 25th birthday. That's the way you handle it. It's all a matter of semantics, amen? I'm saying this, the 23rd Psalm has something to say to you tonight regardless of who you are, what you're walking through, whatever your experiences of life are tonight, the 23rd Psalm has something for you. So don't miss this journey. Be here and be with us, be accounted for on Sunday nights because we are going to do our very best to uncover the vast richness of this Psalm. The first two verses... Of Psalm 23 are what I call an antidote to stress. Does anybody get stressed? I look out over the auditorium tonight and I see a group of people that are all stressed up with no place to go. We get stressed. Let me tell you this, and I will say this many, many times, but there's a big difference between stress and worry. To get stressed means one thing. You're alive. You're living life. You're walking through life. You're trying to do something. You're trying to get an education, or you're trying to make a living. You're trying to raise children. You're trying to raise parents. It means that you're trying to do something, and That doing of something often brings a certain amount of stress into your life. You cannot avoid stress. So stress is one thing. Stress comes. And there are moments and seasons of your life that are more stressful than others. Aren't we blessed that sometimes we go through a season of life where stress is not that abundant? Those times are few and far between for many of us, but we do. There's an ebb and flow to life. Sometimes, again, it's relatively stress-free. And then there are other moments where it seems like every time you turn around, one type of stress or another is being introduced into your journey. You ever feel like that? That's life, to live is to encounter stress. We err into sinfulness when we allow the natural stress in our lives to become worry. There's a difference. Stress just means there are circumstances out of your control that are placed onto your life. Worry means that you are not trusting God with the stress. And... Please understand, if you feel like I'm pointing a proverbial preacher finger at you right now, there are certainly three coming back at me. Because that is something I have struggled with ever since I've been a small child. I have a tendency to allow the stress in my life to devolve into worry. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want to do that. But the way we keep from doing that is by properly handling our stress. And so right here, in these very rich first two verses of Psalm 23, the Lord gives us a beautiful antidote to stress. Step number one is simply to remember whose you are. Who do you belong to tonight? Whose are you Tonight, There's a variety of ways you could answer that question. You could lean into who you are as a human child. I could tell you that I am the son of Noel and Della Dodson. Those are my parents, and I'm proud to be their son, but I'm somebody else. I could tell you that I'm the husband of Amy. I could tell you that I'm the father of Alistair and Andrew, but I'm something more than any of those things. Beloved, I'm a child of the King. And I hope that you can say that with me tonight. I hope that resonates down deep in your soul that you belong to Jesus. Don't you love the old hymn we sing, Now I belong to Jesus. And so remember whose you are. Notice that David, as he begins to write this, even though, and you'll see this become more and more apparent as we walk through these beautiful roses of Psalm 23 over the next few weeks, David will, will begin to, to show you what life is like being a child of the king. But he begins with just the basics there. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is almost like an if and then statement. If the Lord is your shepherd, then you shall not be in want. I remember being a child, and you walk through those things in church as you're beginning to learn churches, and, and you don't understand what a lot of them mean. And I remember hearing very often this psalm being quoted and People would stand up and say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, they'd get into that Baptist way of saying it. And I I would think, what in the world does that mean? Why would I not want for the Lord to be my shepherd? I didn't understand it until I grew up a little bit. And I knew that David was saying that because this Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. So let's look at the words here. He uses the term Yahweh for Lord here. The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. In other words, the one true personal God. There are many names for God that are used throughout the pages of Scripture. Some names that you only see in the Old Testament. Others that are later revealed in the New Testament. But in The Old Testament, you'll find the name Elohim, which is the name for God that you see at the beginning of the book of Genesis, where the writer says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that name Elohim means the all-powerful God that can do anything. And you begin to see that on display. As Moses writes Genesis and God, Elohim just speaks and the worlds are flung into existence. He is a powerful God. And then you see the name Adonai in the pages of the Old Testament. When you're reading it, it's typically spelled out Lord, L-O-R-D, with smaller letters. But when you find this particular name, this is the same name for God that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. You know the story. God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. It was consumed, yet it did not burn up. It was a fiery flame, but in the midst of that flame, the branches did not turn to ashes. It was a wondrous sight for Moses to behold. and There was a voice that came out of the bush, and the voice told Moses to go back to Egypt and to bring God's people Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land. And of course, Moses wanted to know, well, who are you? I think they're going to be asking me. You're saying to go back and say, let my people go? Well, identify yourself. And God says, and He gives His personal name. Remember this. God is a person. He's not a person like you and me. His Son is. The Lord Jesus has flesh and that flesh is now in heaven. But God is spirit. But in His spirit, He has personage. God is a person. And He gives Moses that very personal name. I am Yahweh. I am not just... Elohim who can do all things. I'm not just Adonai who ought to have the command of your life but I am also Yahweh. I am a personal God. Aren't you thankful tonight that God is a personal God? He's a personal God. And he says that is who my shepherd is. That's the one to whom I belong, and then, of course, you'll notice that David uses that very small but intensely profound two-lettered little word, my. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's mine tonight. Personal, possessive pronoun. He is my shepherd Here's what I want you to know. It doesn't do you any good to rehearse the greatness and the promises of Psalm 23 if you can't say with David that the Lord is my shepherd. If you can't say that I belong to Him... More than I belong to my earthly dearest, I belong to God. If you cannot say that, everything else we'll talk about over the course of the next few weeks on Sunday night really is irrelevant to you. He's mine. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And obviously, that's who He is. He's Yahweh, personal name for God. He's mine I'm His and He's mine, and bless His name, He's a shepherd. We need a shepherd. You're going to see this come to life over the next few weeks on Sunday nights, but we need that. We need someone to lead us. You know, often we pray in our Baptist prayers what I've often called the the trifecta of praying and You'll hear people often say, Lord, lead, guide, and direct us. Well, that's what we need. And it's a bit redundant because if He leads, He guides. If He guides, He directs. But here's what it's saying. It's saying, God, I need help. I'm like a ship without a sail. I am like... Someone trying to travel these days without some kind of navigation device. I need your guidance. That's what a shepherd does. And we're going to find out over the next few weeks how he lovingly guides us. I want you to see if he is yours and more importantly, if you are his, you don't just merely have a shepherd, but you have a good shepherd. He's a good God. Just soak that in for a moment. God is good. You understand that the English word God is associated with our English word good. There's only one letter difference. But it comes from the same root. God is good so if you have God as your shepherd, you have a good shepherd. Let's take it into the New Testament. I've told you before that I love the I am statements of the book of John. And one of my favorite I am statements in John comes from John chapter 10 where Jesus says that he is who? The good shepherd. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. You know, when we think about our God and what our God has done for us as our shepherd, being the good shepherd, who although He didn't have to, He laid down His life for us, then it just really exhilarates the thought here in the beginning of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. There in John chapter 10, notice what John goes on to write as he records the words of Jesus in verses 27 and 28. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Baptist, that's shouting ground right there. They know me. I know them. They eternally belong to me. Uh, It's another message for another day, but I can't resist going there for just a split second. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are eternally kept in His grip of grace. He didn't give us one-year life or ten-year life or twenty-year life. Praise God, He gave us eternal life. Because He is the good shepherd. So God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. Here's what that means. He supplies my every need. May I ask you tonight, those of you who have walked with the Lord, has He not supplied your needs? There may be a fleshly one or two that have gone unmet, but I promise you, God has supplied your every need, and He's really done it in abundance. God supplies our need. I want you to know that this verse does not promise wealth, nor does it promise health or prosperity. You know, anytime you're flipping channels or turning the dial on the radio, and you hear one of those foolish preachers. They're not preachers, they're charlatans. They are not men of God. They get on there and they begin to talk about if you'll just do this, if you'll ju- just do that. And usually, what they're wanting you to do is to enrich their ministry. If you'll just do these few things, then God's going to open up the portals of heaven and He's going to shower you with blessings. He's going to give you all the money you need and the fanciest car to drive and the richest food to eat. They'll go on and on and promise and say all of that stuff. That is garbage. That is not biblical doctrine and it is from the pits of hell. It's not what the Bible says. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... That does not mean that life may not hurt sometimes. That does not mean that I'm always going to be free from pain. And that does not mean that every prayer I think God ought to answer positively that He's going to do that. That is not what it means. But what it means is this... He's enough. God is enough. You see, what David writes here in Psalm 23 verse 1 is the Old Testament equivalent to Philippians 4.19. You know that verse, don't you? Where the Bible says, "...and my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory." How? In Christ Jesus. God supplies our needs in the Lord Jesus himself. He supplies what we need when we need it, doesn't always give us more than we need. It's kind of like the the experience with manna and the Hebrew children. They couldn't save it up, could they? No, because if they did, it'd go to waste on them. It would perish. But what was God trying to teach the Hebrew children as they were chasing their tails like a dumb dog in the wilderness? God was just saying this, I'll give you what you need when you need it. And you're going to have to rely on me. That's what Scripture promises. I love what the psalmist writes. He says, I've been young and now I'm old, but I have never seen those who follow the Lord begging for bread, nor have I seen their seed doing the same thing. You see, God takes care of His children. That's an antidote to stress. You, you don't have to stress. Now, I'm not telling you that you can live a laissez-faire life, that you don't be responsive to your bills and all of those things. I mean, God will let you go straight to pauper's jail. If you don't do what He gives you the good mind to do. But here's what it means. It means you don't have to get stressed. Or you at least don't have to allow the stress devolve into worry. Remember whose you are. Whose are you tonight? You're the Lord's. The Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want. Principle number two. Rely on his provisions. Remember whose you are, but rely on his provisions. First part of verse 2, he says, "He, He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's a beautiful picture of rest. What's much more beautiful than a green pasture? down by a little stream on a warm Kentucky spring day. It's beautiful, isn't it? In the years I I pastored up in Lexington, uh, our church facilities were down Winchester Road. Every morning on my way to the office, uh, there's a beautiful setting there, a little horse farm over to the left, And you look over there, and and there's a stream coming down the meadows, always very well manicured. And uh, I would look at that, and I would say, boy, it really makes a lot of sense, the old John Denver song. He said, West Virginia, almost heaven. Well, he was right, because West Virginia was right next to Kentucky. (laughs) We do get to live in a very beautiful place, don't we? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm a Kentucky boy through and through. Can't help it, just who I am. But what a beautiful scene, what a beautiful scene to see that pasture land, well-manicured, lush, with green grass, little stream. And that's the picture. I hope you're seeing that picture. That's the picture David is trying to paint here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides for me, is what David is saying. He he provides the rest I need. He provides the sustenance I need. Sometimes out of foolish living, we just don't rely on those provisions. We are people who need rest. We need rest. We're told that the average human being needs about eight hours of it a night. I've hardly ever been able to get eight hours. Maybe when I was a little young person, I could do that. But once, you know, all these uh, stressors and the things we've talked about, once they became uh, prevalent in my life, you know, I, I didn't rest from that point, even up to the day, the way that maybe I should. Here's what I tell all expecting parents. You know, people are free with advice, my little niece is expecting right now, and, and we have that baby coming in May, and I was talking to her just yesterday, and I gave her my one piece of advice. It comes in two phases. Before she gets here, learn the value of an uninterrupted night's sleep. Appreciate that before she gets here. After she gets here, my other piece of advice is simply this. Do whatever it takes to get an uninterrupted night's sleep. You know, talk about all kinds of advice. I think that's pretty good, don't you? So we're told that we need somewhere around eight hours of it. There was a recent U.S. News and CNN poll that, seemed to indicate that we were getting anywhere between four and a half and five and a half hours of sleep, average citizens of America. And and you know, often we just do that to ourselves. And what happens is our lack of rest ends up causing more stress. It just does. Someone a few years ago, and I copied it down, took the 23rd Psalm and changed it up into this little piece of poetry that describes modern Americans. It says this, The clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done because my goals are always with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me, they demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My to-do list overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Well, I'm glad that life really doesn't have to be lived that way. And some of you may be contesting that and saying, well, Brother Alan, you just don't know what all I have to do. Well, maybe I don't. And also, maybe I don't care. Because most of that, most of that, you heap onto yourself. A lot of people say, well... I'd rather burn out than to rust out. That's foolish. God doesn't want you to burn out. He doesn't want you to rust out. God wants you to last out. God wants you to be who He's created you to be for as long as He lives, leaves you on planet earth. And so we have to rely on His provisions. Look at His provision for rest. Notice, David writes and he says, the shepherd makes the sheep lie down. It's not optional for the sheep. The shepherd makes the sheep lie down. And as we make our sachet through the 23rd Psalm, we're going to talk more and more each week about the analogies that are intrinsic to the Psalm that were the real life for the shepherd and the sheep. But as I researched this, I began to understand that sheep start grazing at about 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, these are sheep in Israel. That's the context here. There's a flock of sheep actually out behind my mother's home. And I'm thankful they're gone for a little while. He takes them to another place (laughs) and then he brings them back. I shouldn't be. This is on Facebook, isn't it? People are hearing this. And he brings them back and, daggone at the fence tears up all the time. And I get there because mom's called me frantically on the phone and she says, Alan, there's these sheep in my yard. Mom lives on a busy road. But don't think about, I'm sorry, I, my mind, you know, squirrel. But listen, don't think about sheep. As we know sheep with good barbed wired fence and electric fences and all those kinds of things, we're talking about nomadic people raising free range sheep. And so they have to take them to the places to start real early in the morning and by about 10 a.m. They've started at four, and about ten a.m., they're hot, they're tired, they're thirsty, and you know what the shepherd has to make them do? The shepherd makes them find good grass to eat, not bad grass. There's different grasses out there. The shepherd would know there are some grasses that over in Israel they call goat grass. You know, a goat can eat anything, but not a sheep. And the shepherd had to lead them away from the goat grass to the sheep grass. And once they had eaten enough... He had to make the sheep lie down to digest the ruminants. And so they have to digest all that grass that they've eaten. And he had to make them lie down to do that. They're like little children. They had to be made to lie down. And may I tell you tonight that if you you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you don't respect time, and you don't respect what your own body is telling you, the day may come when God has to make you lie down. Because that's what He did for His sheep. And here's the problem. We're going to stop here tonight. I'm not going to take you over time again. But listen, we've created a problem even in the church. Now, me be the first to tell you, I love an active church. I love a church that has... All the, you know, whatever ministry can minister to the community and there's leadership in the church to do it, you ought to do that ministry. Y'all believe that? I do. And so I love an active church, but we've sort of created this culture that says unless you're wearing yourself out in church activities, you're not spiritual. Well, that's foolish. Kind of reminds me of what someone once did with Mary had a little limb. Have you heard it? He said Mary had a little limb that should have grown to be a sheep, but it went and joined a Baptist church and died of lack of sleep. <laughs> so sometimes we could create problems with that. I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I like an active church. I like church members who, who will give their best to the Lord. Look, if you give your best to the school, if you give your best to the community, if you give your best to the club, you ought to give your best to the church. I don't apologize for saying that. So I, I enjoy all of those things. and We need those things, but we don't do any of those things when it creates this issue that we cannot be who God has created us to be. If you allow the shepherd to do so, here's what he'll do. He'll take you out to the green pasture. Not full of goat grass, junk that you don't need to be eating. But the good grass, he'll provide the spiritual nourishment that you need. And he'll make you lie down. And he'll make you rest. Well, I didn't get finished tonight, but we have next Sunday awaiting. Isn't it good to belong to the Good Shepherd? Know whose you are. Rely on His provision. We'll talk more about the other things He provides next week. But in the meantime, let's start on first base. Know that He's yours. Tonight, if you don't know that this shepherd is your shepherd, if you can't say with David that the Lord is personally mine. You can say that tonight. It's your privilege to come to Him, repenting of your sins, placing your faith in Jesus, and being saved. You can be born again tonight. That's what God offers you. If He's not your shepherd, He wants to be, and you can own Him tonight as your shepherd. That's your privilege Tonight you may be here and and just the stress and the difficulties of life. Have you bogged down in worry? Let me just tell you, I get that. I walk those shoes many a day. I understand. But we all have to make a decision at some point or another that, you know what, I've done all I can do. Now it's time for me to turn off the lights. It's time for me to lay down. And it's time for me to rest in His provisions. Just rely on what He's going to do because look, we can't figure it all out. We don't have the wherewithal to push all the buttons of life, but He does. He provides. And He will give it because He loves you. He is your shepherd. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Father God, thank you for being such a great and good God, for being the shepherd that we so desperately needed. Thank you, Father, that when we came to you, you did not push us aside. You did not, Lord, leave us in our sins, but you lovingly received us unto yourself. God, help us to leave here tonight with with joy in our hearts with a spring in our step, just knowing that you are our shepherd. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Lead anybody who needs to step out and make any kind of decision for you, lead that person with the boldness to do so. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.